So every year at this time, we do what we call frequently asked questions. Now, what that means is I kind of uh, survey the, the church and ask for questions that you want me to, to preach sermons to answer, and, um, and then I try my best to answer them. And, and we do use several avenues this year, but the, the overarching question became this. Why are people leaving the church? Not just this church, all churches. Why, um, why do we have prominent uh, evangelical leaders like Joshua Harris and uh, Abraham Piper, John Piper's son, and uh, Bart Campolo, Tony Campolo's son, and Derek Webb, and, and these, these, these Christian leaders. Why don't we have them not only leaving the organized church, but leaving the faith altogether? Uh, George Barna did uh, his yearly survey on the state of, of American churches, and he says that the number one religion in, Christi- in America is no longer Christianity. It's, uh, it's what he labels moral therapeutic deism. There's no creed to it. There's just this belief that God's out there, and he's for you, and he inspires you, and he loves you, but he doesn't really intervene in your life. He doesn't tell you what to do. Why are people leaving the church? How do we get here? And uh, I think it's a great question. So I'm going to do my best over this month to kind of unfold some things that I think are important. This is not uh, by any means an authoritative uh, explanation uh, or answer to that question, but it's the best. I'm going to take my best swing at at that. And uh, I'm going to start out by, uh, well, I'll start out by telling you what I did Friday. Friday, I went and played golf with a friend of mine, JJ, and uh, we were playing at this golf course. It's way out in the suburbs, and when I came, after the day the golf round was over, I shot a very good round, by the way, uh, I, drove, we drove, I drove off, and um, I turned left when I got out of the driveway. It's a long driveway. I turned left, and to, know, to understand this story, you need to know two things about me. One is, I think it's dreadfully boring to go the same route every time. I, just, I don't understand why anybody would do that. Uh, driving is fun. Exploring is fun. Going the way that you know is boring. Second thing, I have a terrible sense of direction. It's just awful. And uh, when I came out of that driveway, I thought I was facing east. I was not. I was facing north. So the direction I turned was taking me further and further from my home. Plus, I just assumed, like most of Tulsa, you know, there's going to be a road every mile and you can turn. This course was so far out, there were no more roads. And I just drove and drove and drove and drove. And finally, I was like, you know, all right, I don't know where I'm going. Pulled up my phone. And the very first direction, you know, when I pulled up the phone directions, it said, make a U-turn. Like, there's no place for you to turn. There's no fix-it spot coming. All you can do, you're going the wrong way. And, and I got lost because I didn't understand where I was starting. I thought I was starting facing one way. I was facing somewhere else. I didn't understand where I was. I think that's where... where the church got off. I think that's where we kind of got confused. Uh, We don't understand where we started, and we don't understand where we're going. So this week, we're going to talk about creation. I'm going to answer 
We've been doing this series for about 10 years, through August, and we always, uh, at the end of it, we have put a phone number up on the screen, it's there now, for people to text in questions, and one of my friends has texted in every week of every year, what about the dinosaurs? This is your one shot to get my answer. <laughs> so we're going to talk about creation and what about the dinosaurs. And then uh, next week we're going to talk about the new creation. So we'll kind of cover where we are from and where we're going. And then we're going to talk about how we got lost getting there. So uh, for this week we're going to talk about the dinosaurs a little bit. And uh, about creation a lot. Uh, and to do that we're going to read all of Genesis chapter 1. Because you can't really improve on Genesis chapter 1. So please stand for the reading of God's word. I bet you all know how this one starts, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light, and God saw that light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven and there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together. He called seas, and God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation and plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good and there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth and across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, and livestock, and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that 
creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, and every tree with with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food, and to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I've given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. This far the reading of God's Word. Thank you for standing for all of it. You may be seated. All right, when we talk about creation, we talk about where we're from and how we're made and, and what we're here to do. That's what this text is about. This text is not a science text. And I want you to understand this. Christians have understood that for 2,000 years. There's been debate about it, and we're going to talk about debate. We're going to talk about four friendly debates, different views of what this text says and means, and and I think they're all right. Obviously, one's got to be more right than the others, and I'll tell you which one I believe, but I think all of them contribute to how we understand this. But, But you need to understand this point first. William Jennings Bryant set up this dichotomy between science and Christianity in 1923. And you do not have to fall into believing one or the other. He was wrong to do that. He had political aspirations and all kinds of aspirations. And, and he, really, he started this whole ball rolling so that you're either a Christian who has faith or an atheistic scientist. And he was wrong to do that. And it was wrong to follow him. And there's a lot of, of culture war baggage that we still deal with a hundred years later. But St. Augustine in 300 AD, BC, AD, yeah, in 300 AD, three, uh, hundreds and hundreds of years before uh, Charles, Charles Darwin walked the earth, hundreds and hundreds of years before any kind of paleontology or geology started talking about how old the earth was. He didn't need all that stuff. He walked down the beach one day and went, this is old. This has been here a long time. And he, and he looked at his Bible, and he, and he believed, and you can't get more orthodox than St. Augustine, don't even try he believed that between verse 3 and verse 4 of, of this text, I think that's right, let me be precise for you, uh, there was an enormous gap, right, between verse 2 and verse 3, sorry. The, God created the earth, the earth was without form and void. Bam, who knows how long it came between then. And he started writing about time and what does time even mean to God and does God experience time or is he above time and blabbity blabbity. And, and we're not going to go down that road, but... He thought there was an enormous gap of, of gazillions of years between those two verses. Now, we don't know. Maybe. 
But what's sure is that Christianity has always had a friendly disagreement about how long the earth has actually been here and how it was made. And, and those disagreements, we don't have to look at people and say, you're bad. We can learn from all of them. And so I want to kind of do that. I want to take you through four groups and, and kind of explain what, what they're teaching. We're, the first group is called, uh, right now, if you get on the Internet today and you look it up, it's called BioLogos. Uh, right? Logos, the word. Bio, life. The, the word of life. And these are a bunch of expert scientists who... Uh, are also faithful, true believers in Jesus and true believers in God. And they're, they're wedding these two together. And they believe that a loving God has created life and us and everything that we see through the process of evolution. And there have been faithful Christians who have believed that for a very long time. Benjamin Warfield, my kind of theological hero from Princeton Seminary in the 19-teens. Uh, Charles Hodge, who was before him. Uh, Present-day people like N.T. Wright and Tim Keller. Uh, scientists like Francis Collins, no small scientist. He is in charge of the Human Genome Project. That's a big deal. He's a real scientist, and he believes in the real God who created the real world. You can be both theologically orthodox and be scientific and believe this. And, and what does he believe? He believes that uh, essentially all the days of Genesis are epics. That's not a big deal to say that. Um, we use the word day for epics now. You know what an epic is, right? Like the golden age or whatever. And, and sometimes we use it... Um, we use it in our conversation. If you've ever talked to your dad or your granddad, I guarantee you at some point he's used the phrase, back in my day. Back in my day, we didn't have cell phones, right? Well, is he talking about one 24-hour day? No, he's talking about the whole period of his childhood. We use the word day to mean periods now. It's always been used that way. It was used that way in the Hebrew. Uh, Psalm 91 is, is explicit. A day in your sight is like a thousand years. Uh, Peter quotes that psalm. And basically, and there, there's variation here, but essentially they think that the, the account of creation is what it would have looked like if you'd been on the earth. No, what, what happens? Planets form. There's, there, there's this... I don't know, bang or whatever. But planets form. What would it have looked like on that first moment if you'd been on the planet? It would look dark and crazy and chaotic, and all you would have known is there was water everywhere. And, and the first thing that would have happened so that you could see would be that this enormous cloud of dust and vapor would eventually, like it's not no dust, all this enormous cloud of vapor would get thinner and thinner, and the first thing that would happen would be what? Light would break through. But when the earth spun away from the light, it would go back to dark, right? And, and they, they kind of go through every day and go, that's, that's kind of what it would look like. That, you know, God said, let the sea team with, with, with sea animals, sea creatures. Well, that's, that's where life started, in the water. And then the, late, the next day, you know, let, let them come up on the earth. That, that was what came next. And humans came last. And I don't know, if it's not saying that, then I mean, Moses had a heck of a guess. 
You know, he didn't know anything about the uh, evolution or anything else, but he guessed them all right, and that's really odd. So that's, that's kind of the, the BioLogos group. I encourage you to read them if you want. Their main contribution to us today is that they respect creation and the body and come the complexity of nature, and they think because God is a consistent, good God, that, that nothing bad is going to come from exploring nature. We can trust it. We can trust science. Right now they're investing all their money to convince people to trust science to get us through this pandemic. They, they understand that mutations don't bring life. Mutations don't improve life. M- mutations bring death. So it wasn't mutation. It wasn't chance that got us to where we are today. It was God at work making us beautiful by his design. That's the BioLogos group. Second group, uh, a second interpretation of Genesis is called the framework hypothesis. As a teacher at... Uh, at Westminster Seminary made it popular and basically he looked at he looked at Genesis 1 and he said if you interpret this to be the literal the way creation was made and we interpret it really literally you're going to have big problems when you get to chapter 2 of Genesis chapter 2 describes it differently doesn't it and it's slower and it says God put Moses I mean God put Adam in this garden and the garden was so big it had five rivers bigger than Oklahoma. And he told him to take dominion over the animals, and he told him to name every animal. And God gave him Eve all on the same day, according to Genesis 1. That's one long day. He had a lot to do that day. Kind of I mean, he, was, he wasn't trying to justify evolution or anything like that. He was just looking at Genesis 2 and going, if we try to jam all of Genesis 2 into the sixth day of Genesis 1, we got trouble. And so he looked at it, and he, he began to study. And he, he studied, okay, when was this book written? It was written by Moses. Makes sense. Moses was the most educated man of his time. He grew up in Pharaoh's household. So Moses is the one putting it together. When would Moses have written it? He would have written it right after he got Israel out of Egypt. He would have been telling stories around the campfire at the foot of Mount Sinai. He would have been explaining to them how Israel's God's people in Egypt are not. What are the things that Egypt worshipped? They worshipped the sun. They worshipped animals like serpents creeping on the earth and, and cats. They worshipped uh, the river Nile. Guys, God created the sun. God created the river. God created all those animals and he put you over them. It was an apologetic against Egypt. And he looked at it some more and he said, you know, this is kind of odd. Day one, light. Day four, sun and stars. Hmm, sun and stars are over the light. Day two, seas. Day five, fish. And, and seas and skies. Fish and birds. So the fish and birds are over the air and the water. That's interesting. Day three, dry land. Day six, animals creeping on the earth. And, and all the plants of the earth being given to the animals. And then at the end of day six, man. The image of God over all of it. It's the framework hypothesis. It's a, it's a framework, he says. What is, he, what, is he con, uh, what is his major contribution? Whether you believe that or not, everything he says is true. Whether that's what the days mean or not, we don't have to disagree. 
But it means that this is a covenant framework between God. God gave man a covenant. You are to take dominion over the earth by uh, multiplying and and subduing it and cultivating it. And I will protect you and give you all the food you need, all the plants of the the fields for the food. And there's going to be a symbol for this covenant. There's always a covenant symbol. You know, with Noah it was a rainbow. With Abraham it was circumcision. With Jesus, it was baptism. What's the symbol of this covenant? The Sabbath. You're going to rest on Sunday. That's interesting. Good, I like it. I like it. Uh, third, a, dif- a different hypothesis, by, really kind of popularized by a professor at Covenant Seminary who believes every word of the Bible to be true. And he said it's analogous days. These are God's days. Just like the coming day of the Lord is going to last longer than 24 hours, so the past days of the Lord and the days of creation lasted as long as they needed to. What are, what are we seeing? What we are seeing when we read this text is that God's at work. He's at work. He, he's a worker. He gets up in the morning and he goes to work and he comes back in the evening and he says, my work was good today. And he goes to bed and he gets up the next morning and he goes to work. And at the end of his work day, he goes to bed. And, and he, he's, he, at the end of it, what does he do? He makes us in his image. He's saying, this pattern that you just saw, that's what I made you to do. Go do that. And as you do that, you will be fulfilled as a human. I made you to work and I made you to rest. And I made you to look at the work you've done and say it was good. That's the the, uh, analogous days theory. And then finally, you have the miraculous days theory. Okay, this is me. I respect all those uh, theories, but I think they're wrong. All right? I think I still believe all the things they teach us. But at the end of the day, I'm still just old, traditional, miraculous day theory. And the reason for that is because my systematics professor was that way, and my Old Testament professor was that way, and they were the ones who got to me first. What does it mean? It means that God created the earth as it is in the space of six days. But I want you to think about what that means. God created soil. What is soil made up of? Dead animals. Did the animals have to live? Can God create soil or can he only create animals who have to die to become soil? God created gold. We're told that right there in chapter 2. There was gold in the Garden of Eden and it was good. Can God create gold or does he have to create all the, the, the chemicals that go into it and wait for millions of years for them to develop? God created Adam. He didn't create a fetus. I don't even know where the fetus would have lived. There was no woman with a womb for it to live in. He created Adam. And the thing about miracles is they're, they're not tricks. They're not cheap tricks. You can't figure them out. You could have studied Adam for days and never figured out that he was one day old. I think he probably had scars. He definitely had a belly button. He looked like he was old. Because that's the way God is. And it was a, a true creation. It wasn't, it wasn't a, a trick. And, and why do I like that? Why, why is that what I believe? What do we get from that? We get that, A, death is not a fact of life. That's, that's my problem with the, theistic evolution. It makes death a part of life, and I don't believe that. I think it's, a, it's an invader. It's an invasion. And it makes... Um, it makes God's word the final authority. 
It makes God's word the final authority. These things came into existence because God said them. And he, uh, he said light and there was light. And I'll never forget this. It was one day in my uh, Genesis class, Genesis through Joshua. And Richard Pratt was explaining this. And one of my friends raised his hand and goes, but how could a day be 24 hours? We only know that a day is that long because that's how long it takes the earth to rotate. And Richard Pratt's answer is stuck in my mind is, is a day 24 hours because that's how long it takes the earth to rotate? Or does the earth rotate in 24 hours because that's how long God says it's going to take? What's the final authority? Now, you can believe God's word is the final authority and still believe all the other things. But for me, that was the closing argument. And I think it makes, makes God's word the final authority. Now, what's the big problem for me? What about the dinosaurs? I don't know. That's your answer to that question. The world was very, very, if we believe the Bible, which I do, then the world was very, 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 very different before the flood with Noah, right? People lived a really long time. Maybe that's how, maybe, maybe before the flood, the earth was more convenient for dinosaurs to live in. I don't know. Maybe day six lasted a really, really, really long time. I don't know. Apparently they lived. Maybe God created fossils to confuse people. But I don't think so. I don't think, I don't think he would do that. So that, that's what we believe about creation. It's not in any way contradictory to science or for science. But it is from God's word. What, those are things we're free to debate. But what are we not free to debate? We're not free to debate the supernatural birth of the natural world. The first four words... In the beginning, God. God was already here, and he is the source of everything that is here. You're not free to debate that. That's why I had Josh read that very strange call to worship, which we're looking at going, that's not a call to worship. Well, it's not. But I needed that verse to be in the Bible. By faith, I mean, I needed that verse to be in the bulletin. It was already in the Bible. I had nothing to do with that. Uh, I needed that verse to be in the bulletin, right? By faith, we understand that everything we see came from what cannot be seen. And I want to sit there for a second. I want to ask you if you really believe that. Because it's hard. And most people don't. Most people, including many who call themselves Christians, believe that God is locked out of this, what we call the real world. He's in the spiritual world. He loves us. That's where we get our self-esteem. He inspires us. He encourages us. He guides us. But he cannot touch us because he's not physical. That's what most people believe, and it might be what you believe. And it is hard. I think it takes a miracle. I think it takes a small miracle in every one of our lives, a rebirth to believe that God can create material because he's real. And, and, and that is kind of the beginning point of all faith. That's not for me. That's from Hebrews, right? That's where it starts. This belief that God has always been and he is the source of everything there is. And if you don't believe that, then you don't believe he can be incarnate. You don't believe he can raise the dead. That means he can't raise your body. 
And, and that's where we start. Can God affect the physical world? Can he be the source? And that is faith, and that is, requires trust, and I think that requires a miracle. And the second thing that we, we absolutely can't debate, we can't debate that God created all things good. I think it's a stress in the text, don't you? He says it seven times. Repetition, that's what Hebrews do. He created it, and it was good. It was good, it was good, it was good, it was good, it was good. It was very good. Why is that important? Either God created a good world, or he is a sadistic, evil tyrant, and I don't want anything to do with him. If he created the world like it is today, with the powerful uh, extorting and abusing the weak, with, with sickness and death being the final judgment of us all, I don't want anything to do with a God like that. If the Bible's true, I want, all, I want everything to do with this God. He's good. And he created the world good. And yes, if we turn over two chapters, we see how it all got corrupted. But you see, if you can't trust him, if you can't believe him to create a good God, a good world, ultimately you're not going to trust him to fix this broken world. He's good and he can be trusted. Why do those things matter? Final, final point. Why do those things matter? You know, I, I kind of answer them three ways. One is, because he's real, because he spoke this world into existence, he can speak to us. He can speak to us. If he can create all things out of nothing, he can speak to us clearly in a way that even sinful humans get right. You know, so Hebrews 11, 11 2, whatever it is, uh, that really kind of answers your questions about the Bible, doesn't it? If God can speak all things into existence... He can speak to us in a way that we understand. He can give us his Bible. He can give us his Bible truly. Uh, if he can't, then he can't. Um, and and that's, that's the place where temptation comes, right? Look at, look at chapter 1 and, and lay it against chapter 3 some, someday. What do you see? Over and over again, you see, and God said, 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 and God said. And every time it says God said, it says, and it was. What's the first thing Satan says to Eve? Did God really say? You think God can speak? You think his word matters? And that's the temptation we're all under all the time. Did God really say this? Did God speak his law into existence? And that brings up I think the, the first step, all of this leads to this point, I think the first step of, of people stepping away from the church is that they are separating God's character from his law. We have separated God's character from his law. Every one of us have. If we believe in creation, if we believe that a, God, a good God spoke a good world into existence, then we can trust that his word, his law, that flows out of his character is not some kind of holy moly obstacle course. Holy moly is a stupid show on, on NBC that uh, it's putt-putt golf 
And then you have to run and go get your ball. And you have to go through these little obstacles like this, this big windmill. There's always a windmill on a putt-buff golf course, right? But this one's huge, and you have to run under it, and it's going to knock you into the water. And it's always going to knock you into the water. And that's kind of how we look at God's law. It's just like this big obstacle course, and it's a windmill. It's going to knock me into the water or knock me into hell. If you don't believe he's good, then sure, maybe it is an obstacle course. But if you believe he's good and he's our creator, then he knows how we're designed to function. Right? And he's good, so he's given us this law so we'll function correctly. And some of us are broken. All of us are broken. And that means there's some of God's laws that are easier to keep than others. And sometimes it feels like every cell in our body says, God's law is unfair and unkeepable for me and I'm different. And if you're a compassionate person, you're tempted to say, yeah, you're right. God's law is not for you. You are different. My brother um, almost died from pancreatitis about 10 years ago. And um, more than 10 years ago. And so now his body's kind of strange on the inside. We haven't seen it. We're trusting that it's strange on the inside. I don't know. By faith, we're accepting the word of his doctors that if he ever eats beef again, his body's going to start creating this enzyme that will digest his own organs. You don't want that. That sounds bad. Every time he smells steak, every cell of his body says, I need that. And he has to either trust the doctor or trust everything that comes natural to him. Because the doctor says it's poison. And sometimes, a lot of the time, whenever we are tempted, we have to either trust everything that feels right and healthy and correct or trust God's word who says that it is poison. And that is always going to come back to, did he make me? Does he know me? Can I trust him? And that's why the, the incarnation and the sacrifice of Christ are so important. Because if he really died for me, then I can really trust him. It was a lot of information. Let's uh, pray. If you've got any questions about it, I'll, I'll do my best to answer them. Uh, we've got the rest of the month to go through. Let's pray together, sing a song about creation, and then answer some questions. Father in heaven, Lord, we can't believe that you created this world except for your work. So would you give your Holy Spirit to give us faith so that we could believe. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have any questions, I'd love to, I'll I'll take my best to answer them. We'll go until 1015. Uh, So text them to the number on the screen. That includes you, Facebook people, and YouTube people. I'll do my best. Um, But for now, let's stand and sing. Um, What is it? All your works are good.